Prior to her current role, she has spent over 30 years in the legal community, serving in private practice and as and more than 16 years as an assistant U.S. attorney in the Northern District of Illinois, where she served as chief of the general crime section. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the 12th permanent president of CSU, President Scott. Thank you, Angelique, for that generous introduction and for your service as the board chair of the Chicago State State Foundation. Good evening, everyone. I am delighted to welcome you to this evening's program. First, I would like to thank the Chicago State Foundation for convening this critical conversation. In these unprecedented times, we know that strong and diverse leadership is an invaluable asset to our business community. I also want to thank Jerry Bingham for moderating tonight's panel and Hush Loudly podcast for serving as one of our important co-sponsors. I want to thank each of our panelists for lending their voice to this important topic and timely conversation. And I also want to thank you for joining us tonight for this event. Despite the economy, despite bad health outcomes for many, despite the pandemic, Chicago State University remains open, vibrant, and continuing to educate our students and uplifting our community. Equity is at the heart of what we do every day at Chicago State University, and I am proud to be its leader. You may have heard that we recently launched a program called Cougar Commitment. As part of Cougar Commitment, we continue to make significant updates to academic programming that lends itself to a very intentional focus on equity. Within recent weeks, we were proud to launch our RISE Academy, which focuses on setting incoming first-year freshman students up for continued academic success. In the RISE Academy program, and we want you to tell your friends, each of our freshman students who participates in this year-long experience receives a full tuition and fee scholarship for that freshman academic year, a personal laptop and internet access, a tight-knit campus community to support their learning and their success, comprehensive academic advising, and career and leadership training. We are excited that our third RISE Academy cohort will be starting in the next few weeks, and there's still time if there is a freshman out there looking for an incredible first-year academic experience. We know that a great start to your college education can have a dramatic effect on persistence and completion. Again, we welcome each of you tonight, and thank you for joining us and being a partner to the Chicago State Foundation and Chicago State University. I look forward to this evening's conversation so without further ado, let's get the program started. All right. Tonight's moderator, Jerry Bingham, is a marketing communications professional and consultant with more than 20 years experience working in higher education, nonprofit, and advertising. She is also the founder and host of Hush Loudly, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voice of introverts. Jerry has held positions as Vice President of Marketing and Communications for Resurrection University, State Director of Communications and Marketing for the March of Dimes, 
producer for the lab of Leo Burnett, as well as associate director of marketing for Chicago State University. Jerry earned a Bachelor of Arts in Public Relations and a Master of Science in Integrated Marketing Communications from Roosevelt University. She is currently pursuing a doctorate in education focusing on higher education leadership from National Lewis University with an anticipated completion date of fall 2020. Her dissertation topic and how they inform, influence, and lead. So with that, Jerry, the stage is all yours. Thank you, Chair David, and thank you, President Scott, for the introduction and for supporting this topic, this event, which I think is not only interesting, but is timely and is relevant. Uh, I'm happy to be your moderator, and I want to start off by talking about an important person in the world of introversion, uh, Susan Cain, who is joining us tonight. She is the author of the book, Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. And I'm mentioning her because I've studied her, and in her research, she shares that one-third to one-half the world is introverted. And I bring that point up because if you're not an introvert, chances are your spouse, your child, your mom, your best friend, your boss, your colleague, your direct report is an introvert. And so we live in this society that is really very adoring and very uh, supportive of and favoring and rewarding to extroverts. And so if you think about our culture and even with selfies and, and the way that the person with the most likes, the person with the most followers, the person who's the most out there, taking the most pictures, the loudest, the squeakiest wheel, that seems to be really valued in our society. Uh, the more opinionated, the more critical you are, it seems like that is really most what's valued in our society. Meanwhile, introverts are, I think, misunderstood. I think that we're ill-defined. Uh, I think that that is the reason why we are talking about this, because we are special people that offer special things. And I believe for Black introverts, I think there's another level. I think that there's another layer that we're dealing with um, where, for me personally, after I've started a position, uh, especially in the workplace, People will tell me later, I thought you were mean. I thought you were aloof. I thought you weren't a team player. I thought you weren't uninterested. And that could be the furthest from the truth. And people come up with this just based on my demeanor, which really isn't fair, but that's the world we live in. And so we all just know how to navigate around that if that happens to you. And so we're going to talk about that with our panelists and see if that has happened to them as well. So our goal tonight is to educate, is to uplift introverts, is not to bash extroverts because we love extroverts. We are all in each other's lives. We balance each other out. Um, and so we just want to talk about introversion and how we navigate professionally and personally. Many of us are familiar with the Myers-Briggs. So I've taken about three in my lifetime, usually at a company that's um, working on just teams and how they communicate. And so Myers-Briggs was important to me because it helped me understand that there were other people just like me. When I thought I was the only weirdo, I found out, no, it's a lot of people just like me. And it helped me define or look into some of the cool attributes that I have that I've never really paid much attention to or recognized. 
So I have, I'm happy to, to say that the Myers-Briggs people um, um, have let us talk to Dr. Rachel Kubas Wilkinson. She is joining us and she is an expert who's going to talk to us about exactly what introversion is. I'm going to read Dr. Kubas Wilkinson's bio. Dr. Rachel Kubas Wilkinson is passionate about people development, self-awareness, and leadership. She's currently a senior consultant at the Myers-Briggs Company and has 15 years experience in consulting, leading teams, teaching in virtual and face-to-face contexts. In her role, Rachel helps teams, leaders, and organizations apply the power of psychological type in in professional and leader development. She has developed thought leadership across topics, including trust and communication on virtual teams. Uh, She holds a doctorate degree in transformative leadership and change and a master's degree in leadership with a graduate concentration in adult learning. She is a Myers-Briggs type indicator step one and step two certified practitioner with personal insights around the power and challenges introverted leaders face in today's world of work. Welcome, Rachel, to our panel. Jerry, thank you so much, and thank you for giving me a few moments to add to the dialogue. Um, As Jerry said, my name is Rachel, and she graciously invited me to join in with you guys. And what I'm going to do is just for a couple of minutes share a few things that I think might spark your thinking. Um, It might further the discussion in today's session. The Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, known as the MBTI, is actually used worldwide by about 2 million people each year. It's an incredibly powerful instrument I discovered way back in high school, long before I knew I'd worked for the Myers-Briggs Company. And it's all about getting to your natural personality preferences, or what we call psychological type. And one of the four major personality dynamics that is measured by the MBTI is all about how we gain our energy. And we work with folks to help them identify their preferred mode for gaining energy, whether that's a preference for extroversion or if that's a preference for introversion. Now, we all do both. Just as part of living life and going to work and being part of relationships, but we all have kind of a preferred way of doing, a preferred way of being. And I know today's panel focuses on introversion, so I'll kind of zoom into that one just a little bit. Um, People with a preference for introversion are energized by spending time in the inner world of their thoughts. They tend to process things inwardly versus out loud, and they may seek out reflection and time to be alone as kind of their preferred way of recharging. They may also be a little bit more selective about how often and with whom they interact and engage in activities, and they may be seen as others or by others as more private and contained. Now, in leadership, folks with a preference for introversion are still expected and have the responsibility to connect meaningfully, visibly, expressively, right, with employees, colleagues, customers, and students. So real challenges come in for introverted leaders in terms of how they are viewed by others. A more private, contained, and sort of inward-focused leader style can sometimes come across as being harder to get to know, being too inhibited, or maybe even being too low-key, or worse, it may be looked at as being someone who's shy and withdrawn, disengaged, or aloof, some of the very things that Jerry mentioned with us just a minute ago. And many of the introverted leaders that I've worked with say that their greatest challenge is in how they are perceived by others, and they often feel this weight to have to boost their own visibility and even manage the risk that comes with possibly being misunderstood 
overlooked, or even excluded from projects, from teams, promotions, from their own career advancement. So a question I could ask right now is, can leaders be introverted? And I think today's panel is such visible proof that this is not the real question, right? Introverted leaders really do face a challenge to show up visibly and effectively across the many roles that they hold, including those that are professional, and to consider the ways that they can adapt creatively to be able to flex in a way that meets the needs of others and meets their own needs while honoring their skin as an introvert. For more information on the MBTI, I invite you to go to the myersbriggs.com. But for now, I can't wait to hear from this panel. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rachel. Uh, so now that we have an understanding um, of what an introvert is, um, because we have introverts and extroverts joining us today. Um, I just wanted to kind of blow your mind. I always like to share with people uh, a list of sort of famous introverts um, just to get you thinking. And you'll see they all have some similar some similarities in whether it's the way that they're calm or the way that they move. And so I'm just going to read through a few names. Um, these people have either publicly said that they're introverts or just have been characterized. People have said that they're introverts. And that's Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, Meryl Streep, Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg, Dr. Phil, J.K. Rowling, Brene Brown, and the fabulous Susan Cain. Uh, and then I'll end with a few of the Black powerhouse introverts. I'll start with Rosa Parks, Derek Rose, Trevor Noah, Michael Jordan, Valerie Jarrett, who I just interviewed on my podcast, check it out. President Barack Obama, who I hope to get soon, and our panelists. So let me start with uh, bios. I'm going to read a little bit about the backgrounds of our panelists, and then we're going to jump right into it. The first is Howard Griffith. He is regarded as one of the NFL's best blocking backs. Howard Griffith is currently preparing for his 14th season as an analyst for the Big Ten Network. He's an Emmy Award-winning sports journalist for more than a decade. He was a star fullback for the Denver Broncos, helping to lead his team to two Super Bowl championships. As an unrestricted free agent, Griffith signed with Denver for the 1997 season and soon after made a name for himself as the man who assisted then-future NFL Hall of Famer Terrell Davis to achieve over 2,000 rushing yards in a regular season. Griffith's athletic ability as well as his leadership skills on and off the field captured the attention of the national sports media and the respect of his peers. Howard attended the University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana, where he became the football team's captain and broke several football records. To date, he continues to hold the school's single-game scoring record of eight touchdowns, which is also an NCAA record. Howard earned his Bachelor of Arts degree in communication. Next on our panel is Christina Steed, one of the nation's top multicultural public relations leaders. Christina Steed is Executive Vice President of Client Relations with Flower Communications Group based here in Chicago. She has led accountability for new business development, client relations, and external marketing for the agency. Additionally, she provides strategic counsel for several of the agency's key accounts, including Dow Chemical, Nike Chicago, City of Chicago, and Federal Home Loan Bank of Chicago. In addition to her role as Flowers, Christina is the host of the popular podcast, 
first over 40. Check that out. With a lifelong commitment to quality storytelling, she began her career in broadcast journalism after receiving her BS in journalism from the University of Illinois at at Urbana-Champaign and her master's in strategic communications from the University of Missouri, Columbia School of Journalism. Christina is a member of the Publicity Club of Chicago, the Black Public Relations Society, Chicago Chapter, Me Too, ColorCom, and the National Association of Black Journalists. She currently serves on the board of the Southside Community Arts Center and on the executive committee for the American Diabetes Association Step Out Walk. Most recently, she joined the board of directors of Chicago State Foundation. She has been recognized as one of PR Week's 40 Under 40 Rising Stars, Aerial Investments, and WBON's 40 Game Changers in Chicago, and has received numerous awards for her marketing communications campaigns. A native of Chicago's South Suburbs, she is married and currently resides in both Chicago and Atlanta. Next, we have the fabulous Darius Hillman. Darius has more than 25 years of demonstrable experience in strategic fund development, marketing, and communications and events management. As executive director of the Chicago State Foundation, he has led accountability for advancing the interests and welfare of Chicago State University through partnership development, stewardship of university assets, and identification and solicitation of financial support from individuals, corporations, and foundations. Previously, Hillman served as executive vice president and chief operating officer for the Chicago Urban League, overseeing fund development, outcomes-driven programs, and design and implementation of cross-functional initiatives, including the Urban League's Race and Equity Initiative and Centennial Campaign. Darius hired and led the fund development team responsible for delivering the most successful annual fundraising campaigns in the civil rights organization's 100-year history. A graduate of the University of Michigan, Darius is the essence best-selling author of the novels Five Dimes and Demolicious and the anthology Mad Love. And last but not least, my former boss, Brenda Russell-Williams. She is president and founder of the Russell-Williams Group. Brenda has more than 30 years of strategic planning, branding and creative problem solving experience that enabled her to develop long-term strategic solutions to challenging business issues. Brenda created Russell Williams Group based on the unique belief that strategy is human. She and her team collaborate with executives to develop preemptive business strategies that are internalized and acted upon. Prior to forming Russell Williams Group, Brenda served 14 years at Leo Burnett Global Advertising Agency as founder of The Lab, a freestanding subsidiary specializing in brand consulting. She also spent two and a half years at McKinsey & Company, an international management consultancy firm. Brenda graduated with honors from the University of Colorado with a double major in communications and psychology. Additionally, she has conducted graduate studies at Northwestern University as well as executive studies at the University of Chicago and Harvard University. She is a sought-after speaker in the areas of effective brand strategy and corporate alignment. Wow, these introverts are something else, aren't they? I just have to say that. Uh, So let's jump right into it. Um, In my experience, and this is what I really wanted to talk about, as usually the only black executive 
or the only black female executive, I know that I'm watched differently when starting a new position. It even starts with the interview. I feel like I have to turn it on and 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 give them what they want to get the job, even though I have the qualifications, but you have to do that. And so even when I start and I know that I've met the qualifications, I think because I don't live my life out loud, I don't wear my life on my sleeve, uh, I don't share very much uh, at the office, um, I notice that it makes people try to examine me more. And I don't know if it's because they're truly interested or if they're just trying to figure me out because they can't read me. And I feel like I just don't fit into the mold of what they think a black woman should be. And people may, I mean, I don't know what, if it's TV or different stereotypes, but I think when I come in, I'm a quieter person, I'm a private person, I'm unassuming, I kind of stay to myself. I think that I have to prove myself even more so to make others feel comfortable. Now, I've mastered it. I'm able to do it. And so hopefully we can give you some tips on how to do that in that in your situation. But for me, it's usually I just come up with a big win right away. Even if I can do something fabulous. And then I can start to ease and just be my authentic self. Um, it's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. So I wanted to ask, starting with Christina and then Brenda, have you had that experience at any point in your career? Um, and how did you manage that? Was your personality type misunderstood and you had to help make others feel comfortable to get to understand who you were? Thanks, Jerry. Uh, so excited to be a part of this panel. So, you know, I think early in my career, as I was coming out of grad school, trying to figure out what is my role in this industry, I did struggle a bit. I was in I, I was in smaller agencies. I was on the client side in the manufacturing industry, and then I worked for a big um, PR firm. And my experience at the big PR firm was. I was the only black person on the team. I was, um, you know, just kind of seen as people were trying to get to know me, but I was a quiet person. And the nickname that I have now is Quiet Storm in the industry. But <laughs> back then, you know, people didn't know how fabulous I was. And so when you talk about having a, a, a win or proving yourself through your work ethic, that is definitely something that I did, right? So worked really hard. At one point, I was the highest billed person in the agency in terms of my time. Like I was on a bunch of different accounts and people kind of knew I knew what I was doing. But then I also came up against other women in the workplace who didn't look like me, who were expecting a certain type of, I would say, black woman. Yeah. Uh, I had one um, white female manager tell me that I should be more of a B in the workplace and I would get more respect. Mm. Um, yeah. And I was like, well, and, and see, I was struggling with that also at the same time in a personal relationship where a person was telling me, you know, you're so quiet. You're, you, you never want to, you know, party. You never want to do this. You don't have a bunch of friends. Like, what is your life? And I was like, my life is, I like to read. I like to be by myself. I like to, you know, work out. Like that was a big interest of mine and continues to be. And so, you know, that did kind of 
give me some imposter syndrome at that time because I, I was not proven. I was still young and, and growing in my career. Now I'm at a place where I see how this is a superpower and how me being a person that's in a room who listens more than I talk, who analyzes more than I, you know, just throw out commentary without being fact-based or having a, a, some substantive whatever to back up. Now I am the person that people just know, yeah, she's an expert. Yeah, you need to go talk to Christina. Yeah, Christina, da, 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 because I have this track record and proof. And this is just who I am. And so I bring it all now, big hair and everything. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I I I can respect all that and relate to a lot of what Christina was saying. Uh, For me, I think I actually got to a point where I started to develop some strategies to help me win in the corporate space. Because one thing I realized pretty early is that what the metrics that are used to measure everyone else didn't necessarily apply to me. Uh, Not just because I didn't have the same, I didn't value the same thing socially as other people, but because I was black, um, it, it made a big difference. So the work ethic piece I really can relate to both of you on, uh, starting at McKinsey and Company, understanding that, first of all, I was not coming from an Ivy League school, and people were having all of these expectations of what it was to be a McKinsey consultant and what I was supposed to do. I hate, I don't know about the rest of you, but I don't like chit-chat. I don't, I'm not one of these people who are into all of this sort of networking things, but, you know, joining the group after work for beers and all of that. That just was not my thing. But now, if it was about making impact, that was different. So what I would do is sort of, is sort of sit back and sort of watch the organization and see where there might be a need to add value that did not currently exist. And I would look to see if I could create a spot for myself that no one else was doing so that the the metrics would have to change. And actually, I would be able to help uh, control what those metrics are in the ascension of my career. So I created something for McKinsey that didn't exist before Brenda, and Brenda got to run it, and, and I got to go off and do my own thing, and that let me be very happy and comfortable in my space as an introvert. When I went on to Leo Burnett, obviously there were a lot of very specific um, uh, career paths that you were supposed to go on. I sat back and none of them felt very comfortable for me. So I sat back and, 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 and analyzed again the situation to see if as an intrapreneur, and that's how I see myself as an intrapreneur within an organization using my skill set, create something that is going to add value for clients and for that company that I can lead and, and, and create an entirely new trajectory for myself. And I was able to do that with the brand consultancy that I, that I led um, at Leo Burnett. So for me, it was all, I got to a point where it was not trying to fit in because I didn't really want to, but to understand myself so well that I could create something and bring my skill set and talent to the table and create something that could add value for the whole organization. And so um, I found myself becoming, you know, the, the, the innovator. And really, I was innovating myself out of jobs that I didn't think fit who I was and creating something that really fit for me. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Thank you. Very good. Uh, I don't know if Howard or Darius wanted to, to jump in or if we could just move on. I'll jump in really quickly. I think it's two parts for me. The very first part of my career, what Brenda said, resonates. Um, I, I am the introvert who was shocked. Um, I'm the kid who had the lisp and the stutter and really craved the background. Um, so the first part of my career was graduate a year early from high school, be, be so good at what you do, work so hard, give so many hours, because you're never going to win the popularity contest. There's right. no way. And the dynamics within an organization is, so I was always the guy, they would go, you're so nice, but I want you to hang out with us. Um, and, and for any number of reasons, <laughs> introversion being a part of it, um, I, I resisted that. So I knew I walked in, and I'm a six foot three black man. Um, and, and no matter what else I am, whether it's, you know, gay, introverted, um, a strangely uncoordinated dancer, I'm a black person first. Black is always the first. So when you add that to introvert, I always knew, even early on, especially in some of my first career choices, I've got to be careful. I'm already intimidating um, to, to look at just physically. So it was always, and I had a boss who said it to me once, you're not really get jailing with others, but you're so freaking good at your job. No, really, I actually had that said to me, and I went, that's exactly my strategy. And then I think about 11 years ago when I moved to Chicago, I made a decision um, that I was going to lean in. And what that required, though, was for me to be very, very direct. Because some folks look at me and they will see an extrovert. I am anything, but I am still that shy, chunky, beautifully chunky kid with a lisp and stutter. Um, and it takes energy. So I am very clear with folks because when they meet me, they think they're meeting an extrovert. So I say to them, this is who I am. This is how I receive energy. Um, so there are no surprises. So I think that has helped me. So when I don't always want to go out, folks now will tell you who I am. My, my staff will say, no, he's this. An hour before something, he needs to be. And they do it almost as if supporting me. But part of that, I think, for us as introverts, we have to sort of lean in and be proud of being introverts. I bring incredible things to the table, but my energy is strong for me. And I like people. But I can tell you right now, I said this to Jerry, I can begin a day and tell you we got 30 minutes left before daddy has to shut down. <laughs> um, I know, you know, I know, I know how much I have to give. So, so I'm very, I'm very upfront with people. The best thing to do is treat it like a change management, communicate and over-communicate. But I tell people who I am. I, and, and, and part of that is I like people. I do. Until 6 o'clock. At 6.01, I want to kind of sit back alone. Both can peacefully exist, but I don't draw energy from others. I love giving that, but it, I'm giving. I'm not drawing energy. So I think for me, but the, this part of my career, which has been the best part, it's really about, at the very beginning, managing expectations, being very clear with people who about who I am, and consistently being that person. I think that gives them the comfort that me not being gregarious and over-friendly, it takes care of that issue Mm -hmm. Okay. And and I think that we can jump to the next one. I want Howard to, to answer this next question. So um, I think about competition. I think about all of us have been in roles where it's expected that we be aggressive. You know, it, that, you know, you're in new business development and public relations. You're at an agency. You're, you're fundraising and you're playing football. 
felt aggressive and dominant and, and competitive. And I would just assume that the world probably thinks that introverts don't have that in them. And oh, so, gosh. Uh, you know, I think <laughs> that they're wrong, but I just think they think that. So I want to know, Howard, who, you know, you played football many years at the top of your game. Um, how do you respond to that? Are you, were you aggressive? Were you competitive? Tell us about you being an introvert in the world, in the NFL. Oh, Howard, take your, you're on mute. Hold on. You are on mute. Okay, start over. I think one of the things that happens when, when people talk about others that are aggressive, that it, they also assume that you're a winner. Right. If you're aggressive, listen, you can you can go play big wish. You can play spades. And the people that are doing the most talking at the table, people around the table would believe that they're the ones that are going to win. But that's not necessarily the case. And, and for me, when you talk about being aggressive and, and obviously football is an aggressive sport, you have to attack. You always have to uh, be trying to win, trying to to be the alpha male at all times. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to win, that you're going to fit in. And, and for me, when, when I first would come into a locker room, people would say, well, what's the deal with Howard? He seems to be moody. He's talking one day. He's not talking the next day. He's got to be the – I had a coach to tell me, you're the moodiest running back in the National Football League. <laughs> I said, coach, I, I'm really not. I'm just to myself. And when you talk about sitting back and trying to analyze the things that are going on around you, that's who I am. I am very strategic in who I let into my life, how I go out and compete, and I'm just as competitive as the next person, but I'm not going to be talking a lot of junk to try to prove to people and to try to win the psychological battle, which a lot of the, the talking trash is really all about in sports. That, that was never me. And an example for me was I tried to be that. That was not me. I got myself into trouble in a game because I was, became unfocused because I got away from ultimately who I was and who I was at the time. And you have to stay focused. And, and I think, Darius, what you said a few minutes ago about setting the expectations early is what you have to do. Had I been able to set the expectations early when I walked into a locker room, I wouldn't have taken so long for, for people to get an understanding of exactly who I am. Because to me, ultimately, being a leader is going out and maximizing your skill set, working hard, first in, last to leave. That was leadership for me as an introvert. It was about showing people what I'm about, not necessarily talking about it. And I think that's one of the challenges. But you have to be a great listener. And you mentioned that as well, Jerry. It's, it's about being able to listen and understand. And to me, when you talk about being able to empower others, I learned early in the game of football that in a locker room setting, that there are some important people in the room that don't believe that they're really as important as they are. But if you can reach out and you can communicate with them, they'll, they'll do whatever they need to do. And as an example, I would talk about going out and talking to the security guard. I would talk to the person that was the janitor in the locker room who was responsible because what leaders would say, what we would say to our other teammates is that's not their job to pick up after you. That's not the job of this particular person to pick up after you. You need to be able to police and monitor yourself and keep your area clean. That was one of the ways I would lead by empowering other people that 
it would seem it would seem that they're not the most important person in the room, but they really are because you're only as strong as your weakest link. If you can find a person that, that's going to do their job 100%, no matter what that job is, those are the type of people that I want to have on my team. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I worked in an environment with a lot of people, uh, Howard, and the first thing I did was set the expectation for the team that I don't do meetings. And and the team is like, now how are we going to have a big – Jerry worked in this organization, so she knows. How are we going to have an agency if we don't have meetings? Because I felt like a lot of it was useless, useless chit-chat. But what I would do is go to them individually. And everyone has that special it. They have that special genius. And talk with them one-on-one and cultivate people and inspire them on on a one-on-one level. Now, of course, there are times you have to have meetings with the whole team. But from a leadership perspective, I think it's really understanding that at least for for an introverted leader, that that conversation one-on-one and making people understand how much they matter it takes you a long way. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. Um, Howard, I want to get back to you and to Darius. Um, I talked about my experience as a, a Black introverted female and um, how I've had to make others feel comfortable in various ways in corporate America. And I wonder, as Black males, have you had similar experiences or is it totally different? I think for me, it was a, it was a similar experience because I don't come from corporate America, but now uh, just finished my 13th year, started my 14th year in the television world. That That is corporate America. So for me, you talk about being an imposing figure, you know, uh, accomplishing things uh, in your past. People have a preconceived notion of who you are. You're going to be angry. Don't talk to them too much. So for me, it was coming in and really talking to people and doing something that I was not accustomed to doing or even comfortable with at times, but I needed to come in and communicate if I wanted to continue to try to navigate the television world. Because to me, when we talk about the most important people uh, in the room, as far as uh, television is concerned, it's the camera people, the makeup artists, and the producers. If you treat those people poorly, it really, it really speaks to who you are as a person. But again, it goes back to having those conversations, getting to know people, getting to know their family so that they lower their guard. Because people, at least from my experience, they're afraid to coach me. So being a former athlete, I'm used to getting constant feedback, constant feedback of what I'm doing, watching film. But what I noticed in corporate America and the TV side of it, people weren't really that interested in giving you that immediate feedback that you need because they were afraid of how you would respond. So I find myself saying, hey, you need to coach me. If I'm doing something wrong, tell me and tell me how I can get better because I don't get better if I just leave the room and say, oh, I had a great shot. Nobody said anything to me. That's not how TV works uh, from, from the talent side of it. And you really, for me, is really engaging people and getting them comfortable with being able to communicate what they want from me as a talent when I go out and try to do my job. And I found for me being a black male introvert was exhausting. 
um, it was a minefield of, okay, you've got to be friendly, but not too friendly because it's aggressive. So, you know, don't be overly aggressive. Don't. So I, and, and, and Christine and I um, have spent a lot of time talking about this. You know, I'm about to celebrate my 52nd birthday tomorrow. Um, and I, thanks so much. Thanks so much. Um, but I found myself, again, I, 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 can, I, I start to look at my life as two parts. Um, and I'm really enjoying part two because part one was exhausting. It was just, I, I, and some of them were self-inflicted, but some of them just because of the environment. It really is. I think if you talk to introverts of, of, of the majority, soon to be non-majority race, that may be similar and different experiences, but you add that intersection of being black and then top on top of that black male, it is, you, and, and like Howard being, not nearly like Howard, but you know, I'm, I'm fairly imposing. I can be Howard. Um, so so you, you, you put pressure on yourself because until you get comfortable, quite frankly, with both being a black man and an introvert, you're always feeling like you, people are reacting to you. Um, and you can sit in their faces. They go, I don't know what to do with all of this. And I find now um, I'm just all of this. And I just tell you that's who I am. What I have found, though, the more authentic I am, the more pleasure and pride I take in both the black and the introvert part, the more people react positively to me. Mm-hmm. I think a big challenge I was having is that imposter syndrome and a lack of authenticity. And I think people react to authenticity. So where I may not be, you know, the, the party animal, I'm usually the first to get there because I like being on time and the first to leave because I got other things to do like sleep. Um, but I'm consistently that, um, and I tell you who I am. So, so now I'm just kind of being who I am. But those first, I would say that before I moved here 11 years ago where I made a choice, I remember getting off the train on Penzi and saying, you can be whoever you want to be here. Um, and you're going to talk to people. You're going to be who you are. You're going to talk to groups. You're going to make, you're in the third largest city in the country, having come from Detroit. So I think from that point on, I am who I am. I still need my time. I still need to, to, to get my own energy. I am never going to be the party animal, but I am proud of being an introvert. It's not something I go, well, I'm introverted. I go, I'm introverted. And there are great things about being an introvert. Oh, and I'm a black man. There are incredible, important things about being a black man. And I'm a gay man. There are incredible, important things. These are, this is, this is who I am. All of this, it, 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 if I can't make it peacefully coexist, I can't expect others. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Daria. Um, we are moving. I, we have to ask a couple more questions. I mean, y'all introverts are talking way too much. You know, we're supposed to be quiet. Um, so I to, um, Brenda, I would love for you to talk about your move to Atlanta and how you went for one job and someone saw something in you. Could you kind of share a little bit about that story and how your path is non-traditional? Well, when I, uh, I grew up in Colorado, by the way, Howard, so Orange Crush all the way back then and, um, and mo- decided that I wanted to move to, to Atlanta packed up my bicycle, the top of my car, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to figure out a way to make it. I had no job and I had no friends, but I had what was inside me, which was I was going to, you know, I'm going to live my best life. So I get to Atlanta, and I and I say, I'm going to pick the best hotel, too, because this is going to be a reflection on how I'm going to live my life from now on at, I don't know, just a little over 20-something. 
And um, so the first day I said, you know, I'll do whatever I need to do to, as far as work is concerned just to get me started in this new town. I went to a place called Atlanta Secretary because I said, you know, that's what my mother said, learn how to type. You can always get a job as long as you can type back in the day. So I went there, took the test, and and uh, passed it barely with a, um, uh, barely passed the test. And the woman there said to me, she said, you're not trying to be an assistant, are you, really? And I said, no. I mean, I, have, I was all dressed in my, you know, decked out in my business attire and all of that, my little portfolio. And she said, there's something about you. There's something different about you, and I want to introduce you to somebody else. So I said, okay, fine. You know, I'm just trying to get a job. This woman walks me over in the same building to McKinsey & Company, which I had no idea what McKinsey & Company was at the time, straight to the human resources office and says, you need to meet her. You've been looking for new analysts. I know you guys are recruiting at Harvard and Stanford. This woman just, this young woman just walked in town, but I think she has what you need. And I sat down there, and a week later, the, the story goes, I had a job at one of the top, the top international management consulting firms in the country, which took the trajectory of my career straight up. I, at the time, had no idea what this was. But also, as I said, I ended up in an environment that really did not fit well with who I was. But I was able to make it work out. Uh, the whole thing I think I've been saying, and it's, like, it's a pattern of my life, is that um, sometimes the path that is established for you, if you really truly know who you are and what you are good at, you may have to establish and go down a different path. So I have learned a long time a long time ago that it's not so much about being popular for me; it's about making an impact. It's not about pleasing others; it's about being true to myself. And and so when I as with McKinsey, although I did the job they asked me to do. I was always looking for that other road, that other path that I could take that I could actually say um, was more in line with my journey. So, yeah, that was it. And, and so and that experience says to me, Jerry, and I remember actually uh, when I interviewed Jerry, Jerry comes into my office, she expects a typical question. My question to her was, who are you? Yeah. Who are you? That's all I want to know. I don't want to know your skills. I don't want to, because I assume the HR people are going to figure that out. What's this woman about? What makes her tick? And after that conversation she had with me, I could see that it in her. The same if that that woman saw in me. And there's a discernment that allowed, because we do listen well. We tend to be very intuitive and, and discerning. And we can, we can choose talent, talent that no one else seems to see. And I said, you're hired. She didn't even know why. I walked out the room. I don't even think I, I, I just walked out the room. She's hired. Yes. And um, it, it's just a different approach. And, I, and, and that has followed me throughout my career, really looking at people deeply. I'm not a superficial thinker uh, or a conversationalist. I go deep and really try to understand where people are coming from. And there are so many brilliant people out here who are overlooked in many of our organizations because they just approach things from a different perspective. So I'm looking for those done. Thank you. Always. Thank you, Brenda. 
Um, Christina, can you just tell us how your introversion has worked for you? Yeah, so um, just kind of piggyback on pack, backing on what Brenda said, I think my introversion has helped me to stretch myself in ways that I probably wouldn't have thought 10 years ago I would be doing, right? So I work in public relations. I started working in broadcast journalism. So I thought I wanted to be in front of the camera. I did radio, I did television, and then quickly figured out that I didn't want to be in front of the camera. I liked behind the camera. I liked messaging. I felt there was more even power in, in that part. So now I'm on the dark side of doing public relations. And at my firm that I've been at, I've managed um, consumer-facing brands. I've managed business-to-business. I've managed multicultural, diversity, equity, and inclusion. But then I said, let me try something different. Let me try new business development, okay? So new business development, my perception of it was you got to be that salesperson. You got to be in everybody's face. You got to be taking them out to dinners and lunches and drinks and you're just a you're a very talkative person but I said let me try this my way let me try this in a, in a, a comfortable way where I can get new business I leveraged a lot of my network I leveraged a lot of friends um I'm the queen of LinkedIn and reaching out to people that way and then like networking events somebody mentioned networking events like I'm the person in the corner with my wine drinking by myself like yeah. I do not I am not a expert networker but I can go there and say, I will, I challenge myself and say, I will meet one person. I will have a substantive conversation with one person. And that's kind of the same way I approach my new business development is I will take this one person at a time. Uh, Jerry, when I was on your podcast, I was talking about media pitching and how that can be super uh, challenging for an introvert because you got to get on the phone with media who sometimes don't want to talk to you, sometimes are rude to you, and say, hi, my name is Christina Steve. Would you like to be, would you be interested in blah, blah, blah? And it, it's a challenge for people, but I saw it as one person at a time, like taking it, you know, at, at a way that, at a pace that I could manage. And so with that, doing that from a new business standpoint, I've been able to bring in blue chip accounts to our agency and continue to grow my profile as a person in uh, multicultural communications and PR and someone who people feel is a trusted advisor that they oh, can work with, true. who listens, who is analytical, who is not just going to give them a cookie cutter solution or, you know, proposal to what they're asking for. I really think about and uh, and, and intuitive, right? So, Brenda, you were talking about you saw in Jerry something. Someone saw in you something. Mm-hmm. I think a lot, another part of the superpower of introversion is being intuitive and seeing things mm-hmm. because a lot of extroverted, and my husband's extroverted, so I am not, you know, <laughs> putting down extroverted people. So but, is mine. Okay, great. So, we, we love extroverts in our lives. Right. We, we love y'all, but sometimes <laughs> y'all uh, talk and then somebody's talking to you and you're not listening. You're just waiting to talk back. Whereas for us, we're listening, we're analyzing the environment, we're, you know, kind of taking in your nonverbal cues and we got it. So I do want to kind of talk, just give a nod to the intuition that is also built in someone having an introverted personality as well. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you. We have so many more questions, but we're running out of time. So we're going to open the floor to questions of a couple of questions that have come in. So the fabulous Susan Kane has written and is uh, saying she struck to hear me say that I'm not personally forthcoming in work situations. Um, and that I appear to be extremely warm and she'd love to hear me discuss what the situations are in which I feel more inclined to share in this way and what advice would I give to others. I think it's sort of a case by case um, thing. So what happens with me is people will, you know, try to come and get to know me and I'm in an office and my lights are always off. You know, the overstimulation from all the lights, all of that does not work for me. I like a calm, very uh, quiet environment, and that's where I create the most and, and have the most success. So my lights in my office are off, and people will come in, and even on a rainy day, the, the shades will be up, but the lights are off, and people will be like, why are your lights off? And they'll joke, are you a vampire? What's up with that? <laughs> and so I, you know, just, it depends on how they come to me, and I'll say, I just like the lights off. For some people, I just won't give them anything. It just depends on the way they present that. And then for others, I'll say, I just prefer a calm environment. And then later on, people will come in my office and say, it's so calm and nice in here. I just love coming in here with your lamp and this and that. Um, so those are some of the little things that people notice, those physical things. Even like I don't have any pictures in my office. I, I don't have my family. I don't share what I do on the weekend. And it does make people uncomfortable. And they think that I am, I don't like them. And it's not that. First of all, I'm not at work to like you. But mm -hmm. the point is people do take that personally. And so I have to find ways to have one-on-one -on -one conversations. Uh, I find ways if I'm not very vocal in a meeting, I will make sure that my voice is heard in an email later or talking to my boss later. Or if I have an agenda beforehand, I can prepare and process and then be ready to offer something that's stimulating and challenging and, and answers the questions that are in need. So I think that for introverts, we need things like that. All of those are helpful in allowing us to make our presence be heard be seen, um, but in, in our own authentic, special way. Um, now, Jerry, to that point, what we talked about, about people perceiving you a certain way as a black woman. So in the community, some of the descriptors might be she's bougie. She yeah. stuck up. Stuck up. Right. She, she thinks she's all that. She thinks, right. you know, and that, that also is a, a conversation right within our community in terms of how we present as black women who might be more quiet, more reserved, um, and it goes against type when you talk about media presentation. So I just wanted to bring that part up as well. Thank you. I've heard that a lot too. I have. Uh, we have another question on networking. I'm the person in the corner too. How can you approach or break the ice when everyone is in their little pods, assuming we're able to meet up someday? <laughs> So, Christina, do you have any? I know. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you go. So I was just going to say, um, again, I use those opportunities. And whether it's in a work environment where it's a group of work colleagues who are going out together um, to a networking event, I kind of approach it like this. I'm going to talk to one person, at least just one person. And maybe I don't always make it or somebody comes to talk to me. And I listen and engage with them in a conversation 
um, to get to know them. They maybe become a LinkedIn connection. I actually have a great girlfriend of mine. Uh, we've known each other for 10 years who came up to me at a networking event and was like, is anybody sitting at this table? Okay, I'm going to sit down and we're talking and we've been friends ever since. So, and she's very extroverted. So she's on the total other side of, of who I am, but we were able to connect and continue to remain friends. Okay. Uh, we have a question. What did you wish you knew as a 23-year-old Black introvert? Anybody have any advice for the 23-year-old? That there's nothing wrong with being a 23-year-old Black introvert? Stand in your truth. And don't, and you don't have to learn to be a performing extrovert, which, I mean, I, I did that. And trust your gut. Listen and, and, and trust your, trust your gut. Trust what it's telling you, that inner voice. Um, and trust you. You're, you're absolutely fine. Sometimes the world has to catch up to you, and that's okay. You'll be gracious when you say to them, I've been waiting for you. But trust you and trust your journey. But then the, my, my one more piece here, protect your energy. Know, get to know who you are and honor who you are because that will both allow and force others to honor that as well. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point when you talk about protecting your energy and who you are. I tell young people all the time that you can't share your, your, your dreams, your passion with everyone because everyone doesn't want you to be successful. That's why you have to be sure that you surround yourself with the right kind of people that are going to be able to help you take that next step to get to the next level. And also being authentic. you got to be authentic. And, and yes, I, know, I have not been. Because one of the things I would say, people would say, hey, Howard, how you doing? It's just another day in paradise. And that would stop them. I didn't have to have, I didn't have to say a word after that. They were like, you have a great day. So <laughs> We have a lot more questions, but our time is over. Oh, wow. That was so fast. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping that everyone has enjoyed this as much as we have. Maybe there could be a part two. Hint, hint. I don't know. Um, I, I feel that I hope that everyone got the message here that there's a place for you introverts, you black introverts, all of you introverts, there's a place for you in this world and, and find a way to use your voice in whatever way is comfortable um, comfortable for you so you can be your authentic magnificent self. I want to thank Chicago State University, Chicago State Foundation, Chair David, President Scott, my panelists and friends, Christina, Howard, Darius, and Brenda. Thank you, Myers-Briggs, for sending Rachel to us. Thank you so much. Thanks to Kevin, Dane, and Blair for all the magic that you work behind the scenes. And a special thank you to Darius, the birthday boy who brainstormed <laughs> with me and created this <laughs> into a real event. Check out my podcast, Hush Loudly, which has interviews with all of the panelists here. Darius, this will be up in a couple weeks. Thank you so much. Keep being you and have a good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you, Jerry. Jerry. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Vice Lowry. Stay safe. <laughs> Good night, introverts. Good night. <laughs>